Hello and welcome to this week's Newspeak, the New Culture Forum's weekly look at the news agenda. I'm joined, as ever, by Rafe Hadelmanku, our senior fellow, broadcaster and historian, and Amy Gallagher from Stand Up To Woke, the lady behind uh, Stand Up To Woke. Um, very pleased she's joining us this week. Um, now, did you know that apparently in the Middle Ages, black women were far more prone to die from the bubonic plague uh, in London? Uh, no, I didn't either, but that's the latest bit of nonsense we're going to be talking about from the BBC this week. We're also going to be uh, discussing a little bit the new Argentinian president who's made quite a splash. His name is Javier Millet. And also we're going to be finding out if one of the Roman emperors truly was trans, as again is being claimed by our good friend at the BBC. But first of all, uh, far more serious subjects, you might say. You might remember about eight years ago that there was a Somalian who was being deported, Somalian rapist being deported, and he was um, stopped from being deported by the actions of passengers on the plane at that time. Well, here we are eight years later, and after many different appeals and human rights lawyers and all the rest of it, he's finally uh, being deported back to uh, Somalia. Um, this is an interesting case, isn't it, Amy? Mm. Also because the BBC have got involved in a very particular and very sort of, uh, you know, incorrect way, it seems yeah, to me. Yeah, as we've recently found out. So, as you said, this is a story of a, an asylum seeker um, who came to the UK, I think, in 2008 and went on to commit a very brutal gang rape of a 16-year-old. Um, and then he, he served his sentence. And then as he came out, there was quite a long legal process um, to deport him, which resulted in about 24 tribunals, actually. Um, and then eventually the outcome was that he was to be deported. Um, and when security was staff were escorting uh, him onto the plane, as you said, um, there was a kind of passengers were, uh, you know, he, he sort of feigned health concerns and he started screaming and he started saying they're separating me from my family and so on. And all the rather naive passengers on the plane said, this is outrageous, this is a human rights abuse and so on. So he was then removed and that further delayed his deportation. Um, and it's been a lengthy process from 2018 to now for him mm. to be deported. We've just found out recently that he was deported in August of this year. Um, it's been three months. We haven't, we've only just found about this now because um, he was given three months of anonymity. So the press weren't allowed to talk about it until now. And a, a whole host of things have come to light since then. One of which is, as you say, that a BBC um, editor was was presented evidence to the tribunal court, essentially claiming that he shouldn't be deported. I, I don't quite know what that evidence is, if it's an expert witness testimony or, or what. I think it is. It actually, is. It yes. seems rather bizarre. She is actually. It's Mary Harper. Right. I yes. Yeah. She is the Africa editor. Yeah, that's right. Um, and alongside that, we've also seen that since he was after he was deported to back to Somalia, he's received about three months worth of taxpayers money to fund a hotel and food and uh, mental health support mm. and so on. So all these things are coming to light. And it just it's just one of those stories where you couldn't make it up. It's got so many aspects to it that kind of seem to summarise everything that we sort of talk about on this programme, yes, you yes. know, immigration. And this all happened, of course, under Tory 
government. Mm. Um, and it's just, it's quite extraordinary that the, the BBC was somehow roped in to, to uh, uh, you know, present a favourable account of this rapist. It, it's, you know, you couldn't make it up. It's, it's... I think, was, wasn't this very, uh, that she was, she actually argued that he would be in danger. Wasn't that the thing if he went back to Somalia? I mean, whatever it is, the inclusion of this journalist surely breaks some form of regulation with the BBC, doesn't it? Yeah, well, she was saying that if he went back there because he had raped a 16-year-old girl, that he'd be subject to Sharia law. Um, some people might say, well, that's a good thing, you know, mm -hmm. source for the goose is source for the gander. Um, but yeah, I mean, the, the key thing here is, I mean, the BBC seems to be trying its hardest to be its own worst enemy here. Mm -hmm. Just at the moment when everybody seems to be questioning its claims to impartiality, and we've had big question marks hanging over its coverage, for example, of events in, in, in Israel and Palestine. Now we get this clear, blatant breach of its impartiality guidelines. We have a woman, Mary Harper, who has been severely reprimanded by the tribunals for the fact that she wasn't fully briefed on the uh, on reading the evidence which was clear from her testimony and then mm -hmm. she was caught up on that fact and that it was clear that she wasn't being objective in her application of, of of her expert opinion on all of this and when you have a tribunal which is not known for being necessarily very conservative or right-wing pulling up somebody for not being objective and for not actually doing enough research you do realise that these people are actually simply advancing their own agenda and are speaking from a very partisan position, which calls into confidence everything that they put out. Mm. Now, everything that she utters on the BBC mm. in, in her capacity as senior mm. editor for Africa will be called into question. Uh, and this, mm. this is an insidious um, development which we've been seeing on an increasing number of levels in the BBC to such a point now that I think, you know, well, you would like there to be another investigation or commission, but nothing ever seems to happen about it. Mm. We've got this Director General, Tim Davey, who was supposed to get all of this into order, and yet things seem to be as bad as they ever were. Yes, mm. this is a particularly bad one in a way, in a way isn't it? Yeah, and it's, it's worth saying that this young, this man, um, has, has been quite open about the fact that he's gaming the system. Um, in 20 really? Yes, yeah. Oh, he said, I, I, I'm one step ahead of immigration officers. He's, he said mm. that. And in 2020, when he was about to have his tribunal um, to determine whether he should be deported or not, a video emerged of terrorists saying, we're going to kill him. Um, and this was this delayed because just delayed his deportation. And it turned out to be a fake that he'd created himself. Mm. Um, and it, they had to get in some terror experts to determine that it was a fake. Um, and he's 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 made claims about him being at risk of modern slavery and, and having PTSD and so on. And of course, all the left wing lawyers and human rights lawyers have supported him. And as I said, it's, he's 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 openly gaming the system and they still seem to be supporting him and I don't I don't understand what's going on in the mind of this BBC woman but it's uh, it's, it's ex quite extraordinary isn't it that because also actually you you mentioned about the current co coverage of the situation you know the Gaza situation and Jeremy Bowen and some of his reporting has just been unbelievable about somebody who was once so trusted my mother always used to hold him up since the 1980s I used to respect this man for his coverage of things but also it was the case with the uh, when the hospital was set on yeah, fire as yeah. well we saw that journalist but yeah, but you know, we've had 13 years of Tory government. We had under Dominic Raab at least an attempt to repeal the Human Rights Act and replace it with a Bill of Rights that would actually restrict your fundamental freedoms mm. to, to the core fundamental freedoms and get rid of all of this, all these spurious arguments that are put forward on the right to life and so forth, which allow 
uh, you know, corrupt or disingenuous lawyers to abuse the legal system and allow people like this chap to, to game the system. But of course, one has to ask, are things going to get any better under the next government? I don't think so. No, mm. I only thought, actually, apparently, I think it's the whole thing mm. has cost one million. Yeah. I one know, million pounds. I know, right? it's extraordinary, yeah. Um, and... Also, as you say, he's been given a luxury hotel and a, um, a course of therapy. Yeah. All on taxpayers' money. Mm. I mean, you know, it's been said before, but a country that wants to survive does not behave in this way, does it? No, it's, it's favouring the perpetrator over the victim. We, we've always talked, we never hear about the victim. You know, there's a 16-year-old girl that went through hell. Mm. And as, as she, she, I assume she's not been given the amount of time, money, energy that this mm, man mm, has. Mm. And that, it, it reminds me of the grooming gang scandal yeah. a little bit. Yeah. It's, got a, it's got a sort of flavour of that about it. Um, it's just outrageous that she, she was having to witness all this, you know, in terms of her, the person that abused her. Mm. Um, and no fault, you know, all these people that, you know, no fault is given to her. No. But what she's gone through and, you know... What's and how she must feel seeing yes. an attacker yes. in the media constantly. Yes. Oh. Yeah. Apparently, uh, one of the people, because he was part of a, a, a gang rape, mm. one of the other people who took part joined ISIS after. Right. I mean, this has just, just about got it all, hasn't it? Including the useful idiots on the plane. Well, yes. I was going to come to that. Yeah. None of this would have happened. You know, these useful idiots, I remember very clearly, do you remember the I actual do. footage yeah. of them? And they were basically, the, the, the home office guys, I imagine, were trying to get him off the plane. They, they either were motivated by kind of greed in that they wanted to get on their holiday and they, they were sick of this, right? That's to give it actually a good uh, complexion, really. The rest of it, though, was was virtue signaling and ignorance, wasn't it? These people flying to the defense of this guy. To me, that they're the ones most yeah. at fault in this situation. Yeah, along with Mary Harper, I mean, the government actually had a plan to, to charter a plane to take him back. And she uh, put the kibosh on that, giving, in her, giving her expert opinion by saying that he would be regarded as a spy uh, back home mm. if he arrived on a plane chartered by, and, and as was quite rightly said by the tribunal in their excoriating remarks on this, if you wanted to, <laughs> the worst thing you could do for a spy was send them back on a chartered plane by the British government. I mean, it's a complete <laughs> nonsense, this alleged expert opinion of hers. No, it yeah. was, it, it is very, it is, it is, it is uh, it, as we say, it's got just about everything in it, that case. Um, while we're on the BBC, actually, because it's, uh, they're not covering themselves in glory at all at the moment, they came out with some, well, actually what some people call peak craziness with Woke recently. And this is a story which emanated actually from the British, well, actually the Museum of London, should I say. And this was a story which aimed to show that structural racism mm -hmm. in medieval Britain meant that black women in London were far more likely to die of the plague. Um, um, how did you come across this before? Well, now we know why it's called the Black Death, don't we? Quite clearly. I mean, that's obviously. But I mean, I think that's how basic it's got. I bet you somebody at the Museum of London said, Black Death, I wonder. Let's have a look at this. You know, I bet you that's actually the sort of mentality that we're dealing with on such a basic level. I mean, the story is a complete nonsense. I mean, what you've had one of these academics saying that, London, this, that at this time of, uh, of its history, this was a black London. I mean, give me a break. We don't actually know for certain whether the skeletons, there were skeletons essentially, 145 skeletons from three separate burial pits were exhumed. 
but only 45 of them were actually found to have uh, uh, been buried with, 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 the, with the Black Death, with the plague. Some of the skeletons actually weren't people who've died of, of the plague, but may have been black. But that, that, that may, there's a lot of stretching and a lot of legwork. I mean, it's very difficult to actually identify whether these actually do come from sub-Saharan Africa at all. It's highly suspect, the entire thing. But again, mm. it's all done. There is this obsession. What is, who on earth in their right mind thinks that it's a, it's a worthwhile uh, period, area of study to look at race and the Black Death? Mm. I mean, it just shows you the, the level mm. of obsession uh, it's pathological almost in, in these people today to try to link everything and to, and to try to divide things. What actually an earlier study had shown was that those bodies that actually may have been black were buried with great respect and dignity and that there was no uh, evidence at all of any mistreatment or maltreatment. So for that very tiny percentage of the population that may have been black, I mean, we're talking you know, infinitely small numbers, there's no evidence actually of racism being in, in, in place there. And yet the conclusion of this study is that the high proportion of deaths was because of racism. But don't you think, I mean, don't you think that this is, you know, it's, it's, here we are, we're being reasonable and applying reason to it. But the point is, in a way, you're talking about something that is unreasonable. And it's not, it's not an historical uh, discovery. The point of it is to say, look, Britain was always a nation of immigrants. London was built by migrants. Uh, what you've been told for years and years is wrong. That is what is the motive behind this, mm. isn't it? Yeah, I mean, the Black Plague, as I understand it, it killed about a third of Londoners. So it killed a very large amount of Londoners. And if, if black people were disproportionately affected, so what? But what does how that many prove? are we talking I about? We're talking about tiny numbers. I know, I mean, it's, it's so ridiculous. But even so, it doesn't matter. What, what yeah. would that, I mean, it's the same, like, it's, I don't know if they're trying to put the argument that was made about COVID and sort of apply, apply that to the Black yes, Plague. but. Yes. There was an argument that black people were more disproportionately affected by the COVID virus because they lacked vitamin B. What, what does that prove? I mean, mm, what, what sort of political mm. point are you making with that? But they're also more likely to live in multi-occupancy yes, that, dwellings, that well. right? That's the, yeah. that's, that, that, that's the real issue there. It's sort of like poverty and other things, and it's not to do with, with yes. race and ethnicity necessarily, but it's this attempt to force onto the past mm. the politics of today, of today and the tensions of today, and I think it's deeply insidious. And the, but you're quite right, Peter. As I said before, you know, civilizations and cultures are always based on foundational myths. Mm. Now, London's foundational myth was always that it was founded by, by, uh, by, by, by Brutus of Troy after defeating the giants Gog and Magog. And that linked London to the classical world. Mm. And that was a wonderfully inspiring myth for, for centuries. Now what we have is this attempt to create this new myth by Sadiq Khan saying London was built by immigrants. The new myth is that this has always been a multicultural, multiracial society mm -hmm. and that actually there's no true value in Britishness or in Englishness or in tr real Londoners. It's an insult to those generations who built St Paul's Cathedral and the Tower of London and the Palace of Westminster. But the fact is this is this new ideology that's being put forward. Actually, it's quite interesting, we go, to go off the point of it, uh, he put out a another message this week, Sadiq Khan, uh, where basically, uh, obviously, I think it must have been put out in the aftermath of all those demonstrations we've been seeing, more or less saying, if you are, if you live in London, wherever you are from, you are a Londoner. Right now, that's not my definition, mm -hmm. actually, of a city. I'm sure that you know, so much for Bow Bells. Yes. Well, exactly. But, but if, you, so if, if you're if a tourist, us, you're a Londoner. If any of us were to go and work and live in Paris for five years, would you refer to yourself as a Parisian? 
Well, well that's, if, if someone from East Cheap went to live in Tokyo, nobody would say you're Japanese or yes. you're, you're a to- yes. Tokian or yes. Tokyoites, whatever the name is. No, they would, they would have no trouble with it. But anyway, but the point is, it, it is about that, isn't it? Mm. It's about sort of um, delegitimizing, um, you know, our, our past, actually. Mm. Speaking of which, the um, Museum of London, I have to make this point, the Museum of London which is now, I'm not sure you can tell me whether it has opened or not, but it was, no, no. it's got a, a new base in Smithfield, Meat Market. Several years away. Several, yeah. But I remember when I last went to the Museum of London, which is in the Barbican, it struck me, and that's before we were that aware, it was about the wokest of any museum I can imagine. And I think that one of the reasons they might be doing this is because London is now majority minority. That's absolutely mm. the case. Well, I mean, I went to the Imperial War Museum recently and had much the same experience. And this was a museum I loved to go to as a child. And I loved the World War I and Blitz experience and the tanks and planes. <laughs> Half of that is now gone. I mean, it's bereft of all that. What you do have is that is you have a whole section on refugees mm. and on the UN, and it's completely changed its focus and is clearly advancing a very different agenda to the one which was to celebrate, mm. not celebrate, but to commemorate, to commemorate the wars of the past. And many yeah. of those wars aren't actually even visible there mm. now. Mm. It should be worth saying that Kemi, Kemi Badenoch did raise this story. Yes, I saw something about what did she say? Well, she was saying it's it's misinformation, it's wrong, it's you know illiterate and, and so on. And there was a Twitter community note saying actually this is this is wrong what what they're saying. Yeah. And then she said something about I'm going to write to them to tell them that that it's wrong. But you do sort of think you know you're you're the one in power yes, <laughs> here, yes, yes. you know, and it feels like they're the opposition. It's like the BBC have the power and the Conservative government are just sort of. Pointing you know, out. Pointing it out. And yes, you think, hang on a yes. minute, where's the power dynamic here? I mean, she it's, was it's... brought on board the Board of Governors of the British Museum, I yeah. think. But that's the thing. The left are the, master, are the masters of occupying the levers of power in all yeah. of these institutions. Mm-hmm. Whether it's university departments or whether it's galleries and museums, they get their people into power. That's what Tony Blair did so effectively. Yes. And the big disgrace, the big tragedy of the last 13 years is that we weren't able to put into positions of power people who actually had a deep and abiding respect for the history of this country. Actually, one thing, sorry, we're going all over the place because these are such interesting topics, actually, but one uh, worth looking out for is David Starkey recently did um, a lecture that is on his channel, I think, basically saying we have got to simply undo every Blairite act. If you want to save, but that's his view, You've just simply got to literally reverse everything that happened under Blair. Reverse the long march through the institutions, reverse the back of the envelope, constitutional changes that he brought into effect, reverse mass immigration, all of these things. Absolutely Mm, right. Well, we'll stay stay on museums because there's one that's sort of quite funny. I know you've been been practicing the name. I know, um, Rafe, but... Apparently there is now also uh, an emperor who's trans, is that right? Yes, well this trans. is this is the Emperor Elagabalus, <laughs> yes. who uh, was a very short-lived <laughs> emperor. It was about four years, but he was so uh, despotic and demonic that he was uh, given short shrift shortly after coming to power, as worse as, as bad as Caligula and Nero in terms of his treatment wow. of, of, of people. But um, now this uh, Museum of North Hertfordshire has found a, a coin, and on the basis of this coin, they are using she, her pronouns for this emperor, using as evidence um, a, hi- a history written by his successor. Um, but the successor to this chap 
was, you know, a, a, an enemy of, of this chap in the way that she would actually denigrate and um, like ridicule somebody, yeah. exactly like Shakespeare did with Richard III, is to portray them in a very unflattering light. And there was no, no way more unflattering to portray someone than to say that they were a woman mm. back, in, back in Roman times. That's the evidence. I mean, the most we could possibly say about this person was that he was, he was closer to, you know, Julian Clarion or Hinge and Brackett than he was, <laughs> than he was to, uh, to, uh, to, to a trans person. And actually, that's a, there's, some, there's some validity to talking about that because this seems to be yet another example of the radical trans movement trying to uh, erase gay history. Mm. Uh, and, you yeah. know, there are very many people in gay history mm. now who you could easily see the trans community trying to say, oh, well, actually, they're one of ours. And, of course, we see this in everyday life where people who may be very effeminate boys or very masculine tomboyish girls normally would end up being lesbian or gay and now are being directed mm. by mm. social services, by, by the schools and parents or other, down these paths to changing their gender and their sex. Mm. Exactly. I mean, and also the... Actually, the... the psychotherapy industry is really kind of into this as well isn't it i mean you you're making a program for us at yes. the moment actually aren't you yeah. about this very thing yeah well this this whole decision to call this emperor by the new pronouns was done after consultation with stonewall obviously yes, known for their great about. historical scholarship <laughs> you know yeah. <laughs> which is obviously stonewall were um have, 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 have sort of got into every kind of institution. I mean, that's, that's the whole I issue with transgenderism in the Tavistock. It was Stonewall having, having an influence and mermaids having an influence. So they seem to be able to work their way into every institution and somehow take over. Mm. Um, you know, they, they have no expertise or knowledge of, of medicine or history. You know, they're an activist organisation. And yet somehow they seem to be able to take power. And that's exactly thought, right. And remember, this, this also just follows on from stories we had last year where Elizabeth I was said to be non-binary, yeah. presumably because oh, she I said, I have the heart and stomach of a king. And also Joan of Arc, was. Yeah. they had a whole play about her being non-binary, which of course annoyed feminists <laughs> you know, tremendously too. And don't forget, of course, the other, the other uh, emperor, Lucius Septimus Severus, who was told, we, we were told he was black just because he came from the Middle East, who was clearly not uh, sub-Saharan African. So there's a, mm. this is a complete a, a agenda to try to make identity politics relevant to the past, when actually those labels had no... Had, well, they didn't exist, actually. I thought that uh, Stonewall were kind of in retreat. I, oh. I mean, you know, maybe I'm being naive. You know, they were really under the hammer, weren't they, a few months ago yeah. i thought they were on well they're still going obviously but yeah they've taken a few knocks but yes. they're, they're still but apparently this emperor um uh, do you think he saw us whatever his name was um he's <laughs> he was apparently just as you say just very effeminate i mean but then so was caligula i mean anyone who's watched i claudius you know with john hurt you know, he was just very the, fair. The, yeah, the issue of this is that the whole trans ideology, they're trying to argue that trans is something you're born with, which has not been proven, mm. but you have this inner gender mismatch to your body or whatever. Mm. So which is why they're so aggressive on claiming children to be trans, because if you're saying you're born with it, then you can detect it in a three-year-old, four-year-old and so mm. on. But that also applies to history. So they say, well, if this is a thing you're born with, then there must be people throughout history yes, that yes. have been born with this. So this is why the, the ideology is so aggressive in going throughout history and trying to pick people up to prove that they're, they're right. Mm. Um, and, you know, as you were saying, you could get, I mean, why stop at the Roman emperor? I, I mean, 
I was um, in the National Gallery not long ago, and I was thinking, I joked to someone I was with there that I was going for looking at the sort of statesmen of the Georgian era with their mm. big long wigs mm. and their sort of flouncy kind of um, clothes and their stockings. And I was saying, you know, somebody at some point is going to argue that King George I was gender fluid, All you know, right. and then not long after you hear that, oh, this emperor's trans, and you, you can't make it up, you know. Yes, it's, it's, yes. it's just applying, you know, this whole idea of identity is a very modern thing. Um, and we can't even, mm. as a, currently we can't even agree what trans even means mm. so the idea that you could somehow apply that to a civilization over a thousand years ago mm. is just crazy it doesn't even well it requires a, a society that is basically ignorant yeah. doesn't it and it requires one that's basically lost its marbles its elgin marbles maybe yes. yeah. um well that's actually that's, that's an interesting point because we had an article from the times last week which revealed that uh, Keir Starmer has been having private discussions yes. with the Greeks about the return of the Elgin marbles, mm -hmm. but he had a, a vow of silence over it because he didn't want to uh, alert, he didn't want to scare centrist voters who may vote for him at the next election. But that sort of gives you an inkling of what may be happening mm -hmm. or what may come to pass uh, following the next election. Tony, we haven't actually, for a long time on this show, we haven't picked up these kind of like you couldn't make it up type stories, have we? Mm. I mean, because there have been things going on outside, mm. uh, which are, are still going on, I might add, uh, which have obviously diverted quite rightly our attention. But somebody who wouldn't, I imagine, have any truck with any of this is the new president-elect of Argentina. And his name is Javier Millet. Um, he sort of has caused, didn't he, a bit of a fuss because he's, he's an extraordinary manner, you know, which was very, shall we say, unpresidential. Um, however, he was interviewed by Tucker Carlson um, and, um, well, I for one thought he was extremely lucid. Uh, anyway, we're going to have a quick look at a clip so we you know who we're talking about. This was him being interviewed by Tucker Carlson for, for X or Twitter. Para eso hay que estar preparado y hay que dar la batalla cultural día a día y que hay que tener cuidado porque ellos no tienen problema en meterse adentro del Estado y aplicar las técnicas de Gramsci seduciendo a artistas, seduciendo, o sea, la cultura, seduciendo a los medios de comunicación eh, o metiéndose en los contenidos de la educación. Hay que tener mucho cuidado, hay que cortarles el financiamiento y hay que com hacerlos competir a la par. Um, I don't know what you make of it, but what I looked at that and I just thought, you know, the idea that we would have a leader here who actually even could articulate the, this kind of thing in, in such a clear, clear-minded way was inconceivable, actually. Yeah, I thought it was very interesting. I thought the way he diagnosed the problem of the far left was very spot on, actually. Mm. And it, I, know, I mean, I don't profess to know enough about Argentinian politics, but you could take what he said and just uh, and map it onto the UK or the US yeah. in terms of that problem. Um, it, yeah, it's very interesting. I mean, I don't know that we could ever have someone like that here. I mean, it's, it, as I understand it, his election was in response to extreme economic crisis and mm. hyperinflation. Mm. And maybe it's got to get that bad in the area of economics rather than culture that people vote for someone like this. And maybe we're not there yet. But um, yeah, I, d I can't imagine someone 
speaking like that here, but it, it's it's interesting to see someone with such radical. Well, he's a he's a libertarian, isn't he? Yes, he was but a it's one hundred and forty three percent inflation mm -hmm. rate of inflation. Yeah, it's gone up from about forty percent in twenty nineteen to one hundred and forty percent now. Yeah. Uh, and inflation is the big issue in Argentina, mm. which is very different to uh, here or in America for the, the reasons that we had Brexit or that we had Trump, for example. So he is an economist. Uh, and, but to, re, you know, to, to, to listen to that Tucker Carlson interview and then compare that with the headlines we've seen from the BBC or the New York Times, where he is this far-right candidate, you know, he's, he actually, he's not far-right, actually. This is a man, actually, who's in favour of trans rights who's actually in favour of drug legalisation. This is the first libertarian president in the world who is very much anti-leftist, but he has a very, um, a very libertarian view to many social issues, which I don't think the public is necessarily that aware of. Uh, he's also, of course, been criticised in the last couple of days for, for saying that uh, Argentina has sovereignty over the Falkland Islands. But of course, that's akin to a British politician saying that they support the NHS. You have to say that yes. in Argentina. Yes. He's actually a pro-Thatcherite. He's very much a Milton Friedman type of conservative. So he's actually not from that sort of populist right wing uh, wing uh, that got Trump elected or that, for example, saw the red wall voting. He's very much for free markets. That's why he wants to legalize drugs and so forth, for example. Um, and he wants to introduce to Argentina the sort of economic reforms that Thatcher brought into Britain when it was at a, not a similarly, but at a comparably bad position economically. But the idea that he is a sort of a far-right populist in the Trump style is not right. He's, I would say he's closer to sort of Silvio Berlusconi, although to me he looks like uh, Trevor Bannister. Mr. Lucas and are you being yes, served? He does, he has a dead yeah. ringer for that. But also, he's, he, the thing is, one of the reasons why I think people were surprised by him is he... He absolutely did this, well, it was kind of invigorating, but he did this huge rant against the left, didn't he, yes, with that yeah. female uh, presenter. And he was just trying to get an edge, a word in edgeways. But uh, I thought that, again, it was sort of refreshing yeah, in a kind of, you sort of know, surely, that's the sort of thing that obviously the mainstream media are going to call you know, populist and right wing, because he was kind of vulgar and because he is unstudied. And and, and, all, and he appears with an, a, a chainsaw because, yes. of course, he wants to cut cut all of the uh, waste and cut all of these stupid quangos and these uh, le left-leaning institutions and departments. So of course, he looks crazy doing that, but then that's why he got elected, right? He's a populist yes. in that sense, and he knows how to play the, the, the social media game, but he's a much more sensible chap. Whether his reforms will work or not, he wants to dollarize the economy, which you can totally understand in the Argentinian context. But Argentina has very few dollars left in its reserves. So there's a lot of question as to whether what he actually is promising will be able to be delivered upon. But we can only hope so, because populism has you know, ended in failure so, so often recently that it would be lovely to have an example where it actually works. I mean, I think that a lot of our older viewers will actually know this more, but Argentina was the byword for sophistication uh, not that long ago. I mean, until basically the post-war era. I mean, sophistication, huge prosperity. There used to be a saying, didn't there? 
He's as rich as an Argentinian. Yeah. My family went to Argentina after the Second World War. They, they weren't German. They were yes, the I was they going were to say. The, they were on the post. On <laughs> Not the Brazil post, then. On the post, but, they were, but they were landowners and they were used <laughs> to having estates and, and yeah. they basically went to Argentina to do the same cattle management and all that sort of thing. And life there yeah. was, a, it was the, the safest, most secure place in South and Central America. It was a, it was a Valhalla. Yes. And to see the decline, the rapid decline, you know, mm. uh, you know Buenos Aires was the, the Paris of South America. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Uh, this, these days, of course, it also has more polo clubs uh, than anywhere, I think, in the world, including this country. Um, also more shrinks, more oh, therapists. Right, okay. oh, yeah, that's interesting. You should go I didn't know. Then. I could do it. <laughs> more than America. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it does show how much economics affects voting, doesn't it? In that, um, you know, they've, I can't imagine all the people of Argentina have suddenly become ideologically libertarian. I think no. they've just had enough with mm. the, the hyperinflation and they voted for this guy. And perhaps that's what it would take for someone to get elected here. But I mean, it's interesting. This the label of far right is um, it's just now applied to anybody that's that, that's popular, it seems, or anybody that's. I mean, he's the, in a sense he's the opposite of far right because he he wants to abolish. I mean, they're even calling him. They call him. I saw one article called him a far right dictator, but he wants to abolish government. So in what mm. way is he a dictator? Ah, it just shows how our sort of media is so simplistic in in the terms mm. that they use. You're quite, you're quite right. It's all about the small state. Yes. He wants to lessen mm. the state, yes. which is not a very really a fascist sort of thing to no. do. Um, but yeah, I mean that's the reason he got elected was really because the state had failed. Yes. The Peronist politics yes. of you know of decades long had bankrupted the country, and he came to power not on his own virtue, but because everything else had failed. And mm. had there been another candidate they may well have beaten him. I mean, the fact was that his competitor was the Minister of Finance, and it was only the fact that he was, you know, similarly um, guilty of having trashed the economy, and that's one of the reasons he wasn't elected. You know, I think one of the most important things he says, which really struck me in that clip we just showed, I think it might not be in that clip, but um, one of the most important things he said was, you've got to make it a, a free fight with the culture war. When it comes to the left, you have got to get a level field, a free fight and a fair fight by that. And he said the way to do that is just simply to take away their money because the left, as he put it, live off the money Stay, of yeah. other people. And I thought this was incredibly clarifying because I was thinking of many of the things we discussed. We've got this book coming out shortly, uh, which we'll tell you all about later, uh, at another date. But... Essentially, there's a lot of it is about public funding as well of things that once you take away that that basically it's insulation, isn't it, from the market? Mm. You can't keep arguing things and carry on. And he makes this point, doesn't he? Yes, in a sense, the left are the establishment or the elite, yes. as Matt Goodwin always points out. They are the ones with the money. They don't have very good ideas, but they have the the power and yes. the money yeah. um, and, and the means of communication which yes. is so yes, important exactly, yeah. yes exactly speaking of that uh, well, I, we, we, I think there is is there with this uh, just we, we should have our now weekly Bush Bush Tucker um, little episode I think how is Nigel doing I don't know whether it's called Bush Tucker Diary or something they call it I think but have you watched any more mm, of, no, uh, I've never uh, seen it but um, 
I see a couple of clips on Twitter on mm. Nigel Farage's thing, but I haven't actually. I don't know what's going on. You don't know what's so going on. Similar. I've seen a few. Clips, I think he's. I, I think he's it. winning hearts and minds. Well, yes. Which is what I rather expected he would do. Yes, they put him through these sort of tests where he had to eat testicles or anuses or something rather. I don't know, but I mean, he's apparently, you know, he's being staunch and stoic. Um, but uh, somebody, there's another person who is being voted off, or looks likely to be voted off, not him. Um, but people, I think the whole point is people will keep on voting him in so that he gets, you know, to do all these terrible things. But as I say, he's such a naturally charming and pleasant person who yes. I've never had anyone personally have an ill word to say about him, and likewise, like, he's never spoken ill, that I think people who aren't rapidly left-wing or who really hate him, people who just may have a dislike towards him, may be pleasantly surprised by all of this. Oh, yes, actually, that's the one yes. thing. Yeah, he was naked. He was having a shower, so <laughs> you could see his naked bum. <laughs> Apparently. So, um, anyway, yeah. but uh, yeah, that's, that's Nigel for you. Um, anyway, <laughs> thank you very, very much, Amy. Thanks, Ray. Um, that's it for this week. Uh, see you next time. And in the meantime, I do hope you have a good week. Okay? Take care. Bye. Hello. If you're enjoying the New Culture Forum channel and you believe in our mission, may I invite you to join our membership scheme at the link below or on our website newcultureforum.org.uk. Our work is more important now than ever, and we have great plans ahead for the future, but we can't do it without your support. From as little as £3 per month, you can help ensure that we continue on our mission. As a member, you'll receive a range of benefits, including access to exclusive content, invitations to our private events, including here at our studios, free copies of our books, and much, much more, including, of course, our famous NCF mug. If you aren't able to become a member, then please help us by clicking this button and subscribing to our channel. It's completely free. Just remember to also click the bell icon so that you can get notifications when we post new videos. Thank you.